Lord, what a privilege it is to gather together to hear your word. Ancient words, ever true. Changing me, O oh God, and my brethren here. Lord, that is the desire of our heart this evening. Not that we would hear the words of some man, O oh Lord, but that we would hear the word of Jesus and become like him. Father, at this time I ask in a special sense that you will cleanse me of my unrighteousness, that you will remove me from the equation altogether, O Lord, that Christ may be seen, that Christ may be heard, and that you, O Lord, may be glorified is our prayer. May your angels come down and your spirit abide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. I said good evening, beloved. It is a privilege and a blessing to be here with you guys once again. I was here not too long ago at the invitation of my dear friend, Pastor Bernardo. Uh, where is he? My good friend, Pastor, praise the Lord. My good friend, I want to say thank you again for the opportunity to be here uh, with God's people. Beloved, this year has been a special year, am I right? They must not have read the news. This year has been a very special year, beloved. I believe that we are moments closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know what I mean by these words, I guarantee you by the grace of God, faithfully, we're going to show you in these meetings. We want to understand where we are in Bible prophecy. Not because some man said it. And so I'm going to let you know from night number one, and mark these words, Brother Paul said it, do not believe anything that I say for the sake of me saying it. I ask only that you hear, consider, and take it back to the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to, guess what? This word. It is because there is no light in them. I don't have words for you. Is that good news? Is that good news? All I have for you is what's here in this book, beloved. And if you've come here tonight to hear Jesus on prophecy, then I think we're in the right place. Now, I'm going to start off by being very honest with you. Brother Paul is very, very tired. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? All right, I'll tell you. I'm tired because all throughout this year, we have been dealing with a pandemic. Isn't that right? I'm tired because I've been dealing with uh, mandations at work. I've been dealing with the pressure of the public. I've been dealing with the pressure of family. I've been dealing with all these things. But by the grace of God, guess what? Three weeks ago, they didn't hear me, Sister Ashley. Three weeks ago, Brother Paul got to step into that blessed ceremony called marriage with Jesus. And today I'm here not by myself, but I'm with my other self, Sister Ashley. Uh, Sister Punch now, I'm thankful for her presence being here. And Sister Ashley has helped me prepare even for tonight. The other night I'm sitting there and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking over the message and I'm saying, Lord, is this in place? Is that in place? Is there a way that I can make this better? How can I make it clear and distinct for your people to understand? You see, I believe that the Word of God is so simple that we don't need to be scholars to understand it. I believe the Bible is a book for common people who love Jesus. I believe that Jesus is able to take the book that I have here in my hand and to take it and teach common fishermen 
Do you believe Jesus can teach carpenters? Can Jesus teach uh, construction workers? Uh, uh, same thing. Can Jesus teach EMTs? Well, I'm a testimony to that fact. If you didn't know, Brother Paul works as an EMT back in New York. That's what I do. God is able to teach any man, the common man, that would but come to Jesus. But as I'm sitting here the other day and I'm going through the Word of God and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gathering the text, I'm gathering the fragments of light and I'm putting them together, one o'clock in the morning comes and then two o'clock in the morning and then before I know it, it's three o'clock in the morning. Our flight was at 6.30 a.m. Now, I thank God that I have a helper because sometimes Brother Paul is not wise enough to realize he needs to go to sleep. Sister Ashley says to me, uh, uh, Paul, honey, uh, we need to go to bed now. I understand that you're putting the message together, and that's wonderful, but what use would you be tomorrow if you're tired? Isn't that right? I was in this back room back here, and, I, and uh, I'll share more stories with you as the time goes on, but one of the things that I appreciate about my relationship with Christ is that Christ is able to speak to me in very clear ways. Now, I'm not saying that I hear an audible voice, but you know when Christ has spoken to you, don't you? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I'm sitting there in the back room and I'm saying, Lord, how do I, how do I start? What, what text would you like me to share with your people? And the Lord directed my attention to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. The Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Did you know that if we're tired, the best place we can come is to the feet of Jesus? And I'm sitting there in the back room and I'm saying, Lord, I, I don't see how this coincides with what I'm going to talk about tonight. Are you sure this is the one you want me to say? And I kid you not, beloved, I walked out of this door with my wife right here. And as soon as I got to this front pew, I looked back at my sister, praise the Lord, and I read her shirt that said, even Jesus took naps. And I said, Lord, I hear you loud and clear. Loud and clear, Lord. You told me from the Bible, and then you needed to print a t-shirt to let me know. But Jesus is able to give us rest. What do you say? I pray that we take it from the Word of God so that, you know, there might not be as many t-shirts in the world to teach us everything we need to know. Amen? But there's plenty in the Word of God. Our study for tonight is entitled, What is the Gospel? What is it entitled? By show of hands, how many of us in this room think we have an acceptable answer to that question? All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What is the gospel? Now, before we can answer this question, we're going to have to address the elephant in the room. You're familiar with the terminology. An elephant in the room, it simply means that, there, that there's an agenda to accomplish, yes, and we want to get to that point. But before we do that, Brother Paul, there's something so obvious that the entire world recognizes. And until we address that issue in the room, it makes no sense that we talk about the topic, what is the gospel? So what is the elephant in the room, beloved? On our screen, we have the depiction of the Word of God, the Bible. My question to you is, who inspired that word? Who authored the Bible? Who wrote the Bible, beloved? Somebody might say Moses. Would they be wrong? Somebody might say Peter. Would they be wrong? Daniel? What about John? Did John write the Bible? All of these men were instrumentals in the production of this word, but there was someone in the background who had something he desired to be made known. Isn't that right? In 
In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, turn there in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're answering the question, who authored the Bible? Now, why am I asking this question? I'm asking this question because, beloved, there are over, I'm going to show you in a moment, 45,000 different Christian denominations today who claim to believe in this one book, and yet none of them are in agreement upon what the Word of God says. Is that an elephant in the room? If we're talking about the gospel and and evangelizing and sharing the gospel with others, then it's imperative that we know we have the right gospel. Because I may come to you, my brethren, and say that God has taught me this from the Bible, but then the Methodist may come to you and say, God has taught you this. The Pentecostal will say God has taught them that. And all three of us, though believing in the self-same word, have come to different conclusions. Isn't that right? That's an elephant. What is the gospel? Second... Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Who authored the Bible in the first place? In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture. How much scripture? That includes Genesis to what book? That's the entire book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Who authored the Bible? Are you confident in that? Can God tell a lie? No. So then can we trust what is in the Word of God? Beloved, we're going to cover Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going uh, uh, to give you a, a sample. We are going to cover, during these next three weeks, over 23,000 years of history. Did you hear what I said? 23,000 years of history. And as we're going through the Bible, we're going to see that there are things that the prophet Daniel wrote about That John explains later on. Do you know that John and Daniel never met face to face? Do you know that Moses and Elijah never met face to face? Do you know that Noah, beloved, the list goes on. These were men of God in their respective times who would write about specific topics. And somehow, though our world came up with 45,000 denominations, these men were led to one faith, one baptism, one Lord. Jesus Christ. That is where I want us to be by the end of our studies together. I want us to be right at the feet of Jesus because I don't believe there's anywhere higher for the Christian to go. God authored the book, the Bible. Now, the Bible says something interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. Follow with me. It says, for God is not the what? The author of confusion. Now, that's very strange. God authored the Bible by inspiration. Amen? And yet, many in the Christian world are confused about what it says, but God is saying he never authored confusion. In other words, the purpose of the Bible was never to confuse his people. So if we find ourselves in confusion and unable to agree one with another, then we need to sit down at the table and see what the Word of God really has to say. What do you say? God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. According to Google... 
as of February 27th, 2021, that's a very long time away, wasn't it? That was just recently. There are more than 45,000 denominations globally. Followers of Jesus span the globe, but the global body of more than 2 billion Christians is separated into thousands of denominations. Now, I don't want to tell you too much, beloved, but I believe something very significant is about to happen in our world. I believe that the, the, the coronavirus and the, the way that the world is responding is giving us signals and signs to the fact that the entire world is about to think in a very similar way to deal with the crises that they see going on. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17 that very soon all the world will be of one mind. They will think alike. They will see the problem and they will all come to the same solution. But beloved, though two billion Christians are separated, there should be nothing to unite us if it's not the truth. I read somewhere that if there was nothing to unite us but the truth, that's a good thing. But if anything else, if we could only unite based on compromise, it would be better that we would have war. You know the Bible says there was war in heaven? Jesus says it is better to be at war with one another if we cannot unite in truth than for us to lay the truth aside for the sake of coming together. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the... Is truth significant? Absolutely. So then if God is not the author of confusion but of peace, then why is there so much confusion in our world? The Bible gives us an answer in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. The Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any what? Private interpretation. Does anybody know what the words private interpretation mean? Private, yes sir. Private interpretation simply means that we read the Bible and then we interpret it according to our ideas and our philosophies. I've had talks with people who have read the book of Genesis where the Bible says that God created uh, in six days, rested on the seventh and made the Sabbath, and they take those seven literal days and turn it into a span of seven uh, billion years to explain the Big Bang Theory. Now, is that in the Bible? Talk to me, beloved. Be plain with me. Is that in the Bible? Men can take the Word of God and privately interpret it in such a way that though you're reading the text, it's not the truth that you arrive at. We need to be sure that we are not coming to private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of God, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And I think we need his assistance tonight. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says, catch this point, it's very important. The Bible says, study. What does the Bible say? Do you believe that's what the Bible says? You know, I'm testing the waters. It's only night number one. I'm testing the waters. I want you to get very, very comfortable with me. If I tell you something is in the Bible and you don't know it's there, Brother Paul, where is that in the Bible? And we'll turn there. Amen? You should never accept something just because it comes out of the words of a man. 2 Timothy 2. We're already there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Beloved, did you know that, let's say, uh, are there any physicians in the room? Physicians. 
lawyers. But we're all familiar with what those, what those uh, positions are, correct? Amen? All right. If a physician was waiting to, 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 to earn his degree and to enter into his practice, do you suppose it would be sufficient for him to read an anatomy and physiology book one time, put it down, and then go cut some bodies open? Beloved, I hope that's not a physician you would let touch your body. You need to take time and study. Anything that you're desiring to understand and to master, you need to take the time and study it. Isn't that right? But sadly, we take the word of God, which is more precious than rubies, more precious than gold, which, which is as, as, as diamonds in the rough, and we take that word of God and we casually read over the surface. Did you know that? And because we read over the surface, we come to what Scripture calls private interpretation. And there are so many private interpretations today that all of the confusion in the churches exists. If we would sit down and sincerely and genuinely ask God, what does your word say? Do you know that Jesus would give us the truth? The Bible says, any of you that lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth and doth not abradeth. God will give us wisdom. How many of you are familiar with the movie Left Behind? Oh, some of us were left behind when the movie came out. The movie Left Behind was a very popular uh, Sunday movie. It's a very popular secular movie, Christian movie. Uh, and in the movie, there was a private interpretation, very popular. Does anybody know the name of the private interpretation? Very popular. I heard two different things. I heard secret rapture. And I heard rapture. Is there a difference between rapture and secret rapture? Yes. Did you know that the Bible teaches the rapture? The word rapture means to be caught up. But the Bible teaches nothing. I'm going to show you right now. The Bible teaches nothing about what we call a secret rapture. Did you know that? The secret rapture is so secret, the Bible knows nothing about it, Sister Ashley. The Bible teaches nothing about a secret rapture. I want you to see this. There was also a recent movie that came out with uh, this man on the screen here. His name is Nicolas Cage. Uh, this movie was the, was the original. Nicolas Cage was the more recent one, uh, sometime in the 2000s, on October 3rd. Is the secret rapture biblical? I want to give you an example of what it means to study the Bible versus reading it casually. Are you ready for it? We want to see the difference. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 37 through 42, this text is largely responsible for that private interpretation of the secret rapture. Have any of you ever seen the movie? All right. I've seen the movie. Uh, way, way back then, amen. I've seen the movie. And in the movie, one of the things that happens is as Jesus returns, all of his faithful saints begin to suddenly vanish. Isn't that so? They begin to disappear and their clothes are just folded in the plane folded in the car, folded on the train. It's as though Gabriel came down and did some laundry before he took them up. This is a private interpretation. The Bible, they got it from this text here where the Bible says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In the red words, what is the subject of this text? It is the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Catch this part. The Bible says, then shall two be in the field. 
the one shall be what? Taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour that your Lord doth come. Does the Bible teach that one will be in the field and will be taken, the other will be in the field and they will be left? Yes. Does the Bible say that that will happen secretly? No. What does the Bible say? In the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, Behold, speaking of Christ, he cometh with clouds and everybody shall email their friend to let them know. Is that what the Bible says? Talk to me, beloved. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. Will I need to call you, Sister Ashley? I'm going to pick on you tonight a little bit. Will I need to call you and let you know that Jesus has come? Ashley's eyes will see. Well, I need to call you, my sister, to let you know that Jesus has come. The Bible says every eye will see him. Now, if every eye sees Jesus when he comes, where do we get the concept that people are going to secretly vanish and nobody knows what happened? Planes are just going to be falling out of the sky. Trains are going to be running into people's backyards and into their pools, Sister Ashley. That's not Bible. Are we seeing the point? But if you were to casually, casually read the text and leave it at that, that one should be taken and the other left, it's easy to see how you could believe that. Now, are there good Christian people that believe that today? You better believe it. Beloved, I'm going to let you know a secret right now. The majority, the majority, what did I say? The majority of God's people are not even yet in his church. Jesus said, many sheep have I that are not of this fold. That, excuse me, Lord, them too I must bring, and there will be one shepherd and one fold. Did you know that Jesus has a plan called the loud cry where God is going to send his faithful followers out into the world, and all of his children that are in confusion today will come out of Babylon, we're going to get there, and come right to where the truth is? Beloved, we should be married to the truth. Not to men, not merely to our denominational names. We get caught up in our pride. Do you know that you can get caught up in being a Jew and miss the Messiah when he comes? You can get caught up in being an Adventist and miss Jesus when he comes. You can get caught up in being a Methodist and miss Jesus when he comes. We ought to be married to the truth. Now, I am not saying that what we believe does not matter. I am simply saying that our priority has to be I want to know what is truth, and I want to be where Jesus is. What do you say? Let me tell you something. If I believed that Jesus was in the Methodist church, do you know where I would be tonight? The Methodist church. I'm going to be honest with you. Now, I believe Jesus has Methodist people. Amen? Good Methodist people. Do you know Jesus has Roman Catholics? Yes, he does. Jesus has Baptists. Yes, he does. Jesus has Pentecostals. Jesus has, listen, you, wouldn't, you would be surprised. Jesus has people that are listening to, to, to Muhammad even today. And when the truth reaches those people, it's going to prick the heart in such a way that everyone is going to want to know this Jesus. Jesus said, I, if I should be lifted up, would do what? Draw. Do you actually believe that Jesus is attractive? If I came here tonight and showed you anything but the man Christ Jesus, do you know that it would be a waste of my time? I could plan the most elaborate program to convince you that this is where you need to be. And the Bible says that the only thing that I would ever have to do 
is to lift up Jesus the right way. Show them the Savior. Jesus says, I have drawn thee by loving kindness. Do you know that Jesus loves you? You will know by the end of this series, beloved. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 24. I want us to see from the Bible. What does the Bible say about the second coming of Christ? Because I want to put this uh, secret rapture theology to bed from night number one. Because we're going to be talking about the coming of Christ. And we need to understand that we can be ready by the grace of God. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 27. Speaking of the second coming of Jesus, the Bible says, For as the lightning coming out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Have you ever seen a lightning storm before, beloved? Has the lightning ever hit itself from you? No. When the lightning flashes, everybody knows it's there. You could be in the darkest part of your room, but when that thunder claps and the lightning flashes, there's light. Isn't that so? The Bible says in the exact same way, it's going to be impossible to, to, to hide yourself under your pillow and ignore the fact that Jesus has come. Nothing secret about it. Psalms chapter 50 and verse 3. I just want to put another nail in a short place. Psalms chapter 50 and verse 3. In Psalm chapter 50 and verse 3, the Bible says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. Do you know that Jesus is not going to tiptoe to this earth? Some of us believe in ready or not, here I come. Do you know that that's not the plan of Jesus? Jesus is actually waiting for something. Now, if you don't know what Jesus is waiting for, then I would invite you to come back tomorrow night. Because tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the question, where is Jesus? Why the delay? For over 2,000 years, it doesn't matter what denomination you, be, you, you belong to, for over 2,000 years, we that believe in the word of God have said that Jesus is coming again. We have said that he's coming soon. Is 2,000 years soon. So then something is amiss. I asked you earlier, can God lie? No. So then if the issue is not with God's promise, then the issue has to be with the condition of his people. I want to show you that. We serve a God that is able to clean his house and to make us look exactly like Jesus. First Thessalonians continues, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, beloved, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. The words caught up? Rapture. So is the rapture in the Bible? Yes, it is. We will be caught up to meet him in the air. When Jesus comes, all the dead shall rise, and we that remain shall be caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't want you to leave here saying, Brother Paul said that the rapture is not in the Bible. That's not what I said. I said it is no secret. Amen? Every eye will see him. Every single eye. Beloved, we must learn to do what? Study the Bible. Do you see how when you begin to take the texts, and allow them to explain themselves, the things that you didn't understand begin to become clearer and clearer. There are five essentials. How many essentials? Five essentials. There are only five things you need to study the Bible on your own and to always arrive at the truth. Wouldn't you like that gift? To be able to study your word by yourself, you don't have a pastor or an elder or anybody around you, and the Holy Spirit is still able to lead you to the truth. Do you want to know the truth? Then you need these five things. Number one, we need the correct 
textbook. It is not wise to walk into an anatomy and physiology class expecting to learn with a history textbook, is it? Is the history textbook bad? No. It's just not applicable to the knowledge you're seeking to gain. Do you see that? You need the correct textbook. If you walked into a law school and you asked the mechanic to teach the class, could the mechanic teach the law students? That's a trick question, because if he knows law, then yes, he can. It doesn't matter, amen? But the point is, you want somebody that is qualified to teach the lesson. You want the lawyer to teach law, and you want the mechanic to teach the mechanics, amen? We need the correct textbook. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, you can just jot these texts down. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20 says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, the Bible, it is because there is no light in them. If you can't show me what you believe from the word of God, then why is it worth me believing? If God said nothing about it, if Jesus doesn't know about what you believe, why is it worth me believing? Now, if we have the correct textbook, that is good, but we also need a qualified teacher. In the book of John chapter 16, the Bible tells you that when the spirit of truth is come, he would guide you into, guess how much? All truth. You don't have to guess at what prophecy says. The Holy Spirit will teach you in the exact same way that he's taught men before us. In fact, in Christian education, page 59, we're told the Holy Spirit exalts and glorifies the Savior. It is his office to present Christ. Now, that's an excellent office. Do you know that's all the Holy Spirit does? He glorifies and magnifies and uplifts Jesus. If you ever want to know if you're truly in the presence of the Holy Spirit, Christ must be uplifted, beloved, because that is his office. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit doesn't spend his time talking about the law unless he's seeking to show you the lawgiver. Did you hear what I said? The Holy Spirit doesn't take his time showing you things about anything unless Christ is at the very center of it. That's what he does. It is his office to present Christ, the purity of his righteousness, and the great salvation that we have through him. Jesus says, he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The spirit of truth is the only effectual teacher of divine truth. That means that any other teacher is what? Ineffectual. How must God esteem the human race since he gave his son to die for them and appoints his spirit to be man's teacher and continual guide. Now, if you have the correct textbook, that's number one, amen? And you have the qualified teacher, which is the Holy Spirit, number two, is it important to understand the teacher's method of teaching? At the beginning of the school year, the teacher always gives us something called a syllabus. Do we know what that is, a syllabus? And what the syllabus does is it shows you the, the, the mechanism, the path that the teacher desires to, to, to train you and to teach you what you need to know. You may have midterms before your finals. In fact, that's the order of it. And so the teacher will teach you what you need in order to reach your midterms and then teach you what you need in order to meet your finals. But you have to understand the teacher's method of teaching in order to get it the right way. Do you see what I'm saying? What is the Holy Spirit's method of teaching? What is the Holy Spirit's method of teaching? Don't answer. If we don't know the answer to the question, 
then how can we continue to learn the lessons that he's trying to teach us day by day? Do you know that day by day God is trying to teach us? He doesn't wait for prophecy seminars. It's, it's in everyday situations. I'm sure everyone in this room has testimony over and over and over to various people trying to reach you, trying to bring you to church, trying to bring you to Bible study. Over and over, God has been seeking to reach you, trying to teach us. But if we don't know how he teaches, then when he comes as a teacher, we miss the lesson. In the book of Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 through 11, the Bible tells us how we should study the Bible. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 to 11, the Bible asks a specific question. It says, who shall he teach knowledge? And who shall he make to understand the doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Who does God teach? Who does God make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now, how many of you know anything about breastfeeding? Yes? Breastfeeding is a form of second-hand nourishment. You see, the baby can't chew yet, has no teeth. And for those of you still breastfeeding when they have teeth, Lord have mercy. They have no teeth. And so they're seeking to gain from the mother what they could not gain by chewing for themselves. Breastfeeding is a form of second-hand nourishment. Now, the Bible said that God will teach those who are no longer on second-hand nourishment. Do you know what that means? That means that when we leave here tonight, God is interested in personally teaching each of us in our own homes. God doesn't want us to be stuck on the breast of the pulpit. And I say that respectfully. Whether I'm here or whoever's here, it is good to have men of experience, amen, to guide us and to help us. But I promise you, beloved, if the experience that those men share with us does not come into practical everyday experience for you and I, then, then what is the point of all this? God is able to teach us if we would get off of secondhand nourishment and begin to study for ourselves. The Bible says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. You're going to find throughout this prophecy seminar that as we're studying the Word of God, there are going to be questions that you have. And every time you ask a question, the Bible has an answer. You may find your question in the book of Daniel and find the answer in the book of Revelation. You may have a question in the book of Psalms and find the answer in the book of Proverbs because the Bible teaches us here a little and there a little. When we miss that training method, the way that the Holy Spirit teaches us, we begin to privately interpret. And that's always dangerous, my friends. The fourth essential for successful Bible study is the correct mindset. Do you think it's imperative that we are teachable students? A man who knows everything has no need of a teacher, isn't that right? Why would you spend time teaching me if I felt that I already knew everything you had to say? When the Holy Spirit comes to us, knocking on the door of our hearts, seeking to get us to understand, what is our response? Lord, I know that already. I've heard prophecy seminars. I've heard these things before, Lord. I, I, Lord, I know these things. Do you know that to this very day, I've grown up in Adventism. I've been very blessed for the past 29 years. And as I've grown up in Adventism, I've been reading through the Bible and studying and studying and studying. Do you know that Jesus takes me back to passages I've read over and over and over, and there's always something sweeter to be found? Beloved, we have to get to the point where we're teachable, where the Holy Spirit can actually show us more and more. Uh, let's move on. 
in the Bible, you would find in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2, that he that thinks he knows anything knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, mark the text now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, if you believe it, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. The time is coming, beloved, where the things that we profess to believe, we're going to have to prove it before the world. You believe that Jesus is coming soon. People have been believing that for over 2,000 years. Why isn't he back yet? If you don't have an appropriate answer, you can't win that soul. We have to become intelligent about our faith. And the final thing that we need, beloved, is prayer. I believe with all my heart that if we have these five essentials every night of this Bible prophecy, we can learn the truth, and the truth can make us free. I want to talk with you a little bit about the signs of the times. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, let's go there, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus had a very important discussion with his disciples concerning the last days. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, we're going to begin at verse 1. The Bible says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him how? Privately. Saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Are there people today who want to know the answer to that question too? Where is the promise of your coming? What shall be the sign of the end of the world? What is going on in today's world? In the year 2019, I was working as an EMT. Everything was normal. You know, you have the occasional uh, uh, patient that you wish you didn't have. But other than that, things were running smooth. And just a few months after that, we're thrown into a global pandemic. Beloved, this is serious. And all the world has been gripped by fear. Do you know that Jesus promised us that in these last days, men's hearts would be, would be failing them for fear, for looking upon the things that are coming upon this world? People are afraid today. Beloved, you know, I, I was talking with my, uh, one of my, my, my family members, I won't say who, uh, for mercy, and I was explaining to them, it is impossible as Christians for you and I to pray and worry. You can't do both, beloved. The Bible says that God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because they trust in him. If we trust Jesus, why do we worry about the things we pray and put in his hands? Beloved, since the beginning of 2020, there have been countless deaths, and I won't pretend as though I know every nook and cranny that there is to understand about this corona pandemic. I don't. But what I can tell you is this. The fear is very real. Jesus told us that we would be living in a world just before he came where men's hearts would be failing them for fear. When these people are afraid, how do you share a peace with them that you don't even know? Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will, not I might, you don't have to guess about it, this is the result of coming to Jesus. The more you come to Jesus, the more of rest you will receive. Beloved, let me tell you something, rest is peace in the eye of the storm. Rest is having Jesus in the vessel and knowing that everything is going to be okay. Do you remember the story when Jesus was out on the lake with the disciples? And the storm, uh, the pandemic, uh, excuse me, the storm began to beat upon the boat. And as the storm was beating upon the boat, the disciples are in there. I don't know if they had buckets, beloved, but they're sitting here with their hands and throwing the water out. They said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? Jesus took naps, my sister. Was Jesus unaware of how serious the waves were? Was Jesus unaware of the rolling of the billows and of the sound of the thunder? No, no, no. But he had an abiding trust in someone who had control over all these things. Jesus woke up. Jesus did what? Oh, some of you need to wake up. Jesus woke up, beloved, in the midst of that storm, and he looked out at his environment. I can imagine if Jesus was here today, he would look out at, at, at the coronavirus pandemic all around the world, and you know what he would say? Peace. Be still. What a man. What manner of man is this, that the waves and the seas obey him? Beloved, I believe Jesus would say exactly what I said. Do you know that when Jesus spoke to leprosy, leprosy had to leave? If Jesus were to speak to coronavirus today, coronavirus would have to leave. In the presence of the life giver, there can only be life and peace, beloved. And so I'm asking you again, do you have the peace that the people in the world are afraid and lack at this time? Because if you and I don't have it, who can receive it? If you don't have it, the instruction to receive it is very simple. One word, come. Come on to Jesus. Isn't that simple? Come on to Jesus, and he will give you rest. Going back to the Bible, in verse 4, Matthew 24, the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. When people try to take wars and rumors of wars and make that the reason as to why Jesus is coming, do you know Jesus said, that's not what you should be looking for. I acknowledge it, amen? Acknowledge that these things are going on. They are indicators of the nearness of my coming, but those things are not what bring me back. If you think Jesus is coming back because of a tornado, you've got it all wrong. If you think that Jesus is going to come back from heaven because of an earthquake, you've got it all wrong. There is something else that he is looking for. Follow me in the verse. The Bible says in verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Beloved, when I tell you we're living in a generation of sin, 
such as never was? I remember not too long ago, I was reading an article. And in the article, there was a man that fell asleep on a bus. I think it was in England this happened. The man fell asleep on the bus. Have you ever fallen asleep on a bus before? No? Praise God. I've fallen asleep on the bus. Yes, my sister. I've fallen asleep on the bus. I've fallen asleep on the bus many times. And the man had his head up against the window like this, and he's sleeping. Do you know that the news story said that as the man was sleeping, another passenger came onto the bus, pulled out a knife, and began to saw the man's head right off of his shoulders? Jesus took naps in the right place. Amen? Began to saw the man's neck right off of his shoulders. Beloved, how can we look at what's going on in the world and think that it is business as usual? How can we look at a global pandemic and think that it is business as usual? I am telling you, beloved, I have never in my history of being in emergency medical services seen anything like what the world is dealing with right now. I have never in my short span of life seen the government respond to anything in the way that they're responding right now. We're living on borrowed time. But I'm thankful because if you borrow something, that means you had to have got it from someone. And we borrowed the time from Jesus. Jesus is not willing that any in this room should perish, but that all should be saved and come to repentance. Before we criticize Jesus about taking too long to come back, we have to really consider, Lord, am, am I right with you? If Jesus were to open the clouds tonight and, and, and remove the roof off of Battle Creek Tabernacle to bring his people home, would you and I be ready? Time is not yet closed. There is time enough. Listen, the Bible says no man know the day or the hour, so I don't, I don't have a time frame to give you, but I know that we have time enough to become the friends of God. Before the second coming of Christ, there will be deception among men. Did we see that? False Christs, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places, believers would be persecuted and killed for his name's sake. There would be false prophets, an increase of iniquity, which leads to the moral decline and the loss of love. Christ calls for the endurance of all these things. But in verse 14, Jesus told us one thing. How many things? One thing that if you leave this room this evening, understanding, you could actually hasten his coming. There is one sign that Jesus gave in all of Matthew 24 that would bring the end and usher in the coming of Jesus. Matthew 24 and verse 14, the Bible says, and this gospel, what did he say? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now somebody says, well, Brother Paul, which gospel? Is that a good question? The Methodists would say the gospel that we have, and they've been preaching it during the entire time they're waiting for Christ to come. Has Christ come back yet? The Pentecostal would say, the gospel that we have, and they've been preaching it the entire time they've been waiting for Christ, has Christ come back yet? I am a Seventh-day Adventist, and I'll let you know right now, we have been preaching it the entire time, waiting for Christ, and Christ has not come back yet. There's something going on with our hearts that Jesus is trying to rectify even tonight. Jesus is not pleased with merely lip service. It's not about sermons, beloved. 
The Bible said the gospel would be preached as a witness. Can it be seen in your life? More importantly, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom would be preached. What is the significance of that? Somebody talk to me. What is the significance of Jesus saying this gospel as opposed to saying a gospel? Specific. If I said, pass me the book to anybody in the room, pass me the book, you would have a hard time giving me the book I was talking about, wouldn't you? Because there are many books in this room right now. But if I pointed to my brother over here and I said, pass me his Bible, if he's so kind, he would loan me the Bible. Amen? Because I specified what I'm asking for. Jesus did not say the gospel would be preached and then the end would come. He said this gospel. Turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 14. And as you're turning there, I want you to see this on the screen. We're winding down even now. Uh, about three more minutes. We're winding down even right now. Does anybody know who this man is on the screen? This is a man by the name of Sergei Toro. In the news it said, Jesus Christ returns. Traffic policeman exposed as the Son of God is worshipped by thousands. Another man on the screen called himself the man Christ Jesus. His name was Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Thank you, Sister Ashley. And his followers would tattoo the numbers 666 all over their bodies because they believed that they were following Christ. Now, whether you know what 666 is or represents at all, is there anybody in this room who would tattoo 666 on them thinking they were serving God? But there are people who are in confusion so much that they would do things like this and say that they're following God. Now, I'm not saying God condemns them simply for the tattoo. What I'm saying is that what the tattoo does is it testifies to the mindset, the confusion going on there. Is that right? Here's another sister. She tattooed it on her arm over here. In the New York Times, they're called the Hallelujah People. This was written in 2007. It says, among the softly lighted houses that line a quiet stretch of Corona Avenue in Central Queens, a visitor will encounter a mosque, a Jehovah Witnesses Assembly Hall, two Buddhist temples, and finally a one-time hair salon that is home to a congregation of a Christian sect called Growing in Grace. Speaking of the leader, uh, Jose Miranda, it says he is known to his followers by the majestic title, the man Christ Jesus. Beloved, is that blasphemy? He has called himself both Jesus Christ and the Antichrist, putting his own spin on the latter term. Now, give me another word for his own spin. That's a private interpretation. Isn't that right? So according to his interpretation, he is both Jesus and he's the Antichrist. Beloved, biblically, that doesn't even make sense, does it? But there are people that believe these things. The sect holds that while sin died on the cross with Jesus, the idea of sin still oppresses his people. 
I'm going to keep moving forward. This man was, was teaching people that he was Christ, teaching people that he was the Antichrist. And rather than people seeing Christ and Antichrist aren't the same, the, the very words Antichrist mean in place of Christ. It means something other than Christ. The people see him saying he's Christ and he's Antichrist and somehow came to the conclusion that this must be Jesus. Is that confusion? Is that confusion, beloved? Can the truth clear that up? These are the type of people that are in the world. And it gets deeper than that. I'm not going to expose all of that tonight. It gets deeper than that. There, there are so many people out there that are waiting to hear the truth of God so that they can walk in the freedom wherewith Christ had made them free. We're in our Bibles in Revelation chapter 14. And we're closing here. Revelation chapter 14. Beginning at verse 6. The Bible says, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel what did this angel have the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and to every kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountain of waters. Beloved, I'm going to close right here. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 14, follow, this is the conclusion. In the book of Revelation chapter 14, the Bible said that there was an angel that had something called the everlasting gospel. Amen? What is the significance of the word everlasting? The word everlasting implies that it hasn't changed since Adam heard it. It hasn't changed since Noah proclaimed it. It hasn't changed since Moses had it and since Elijah had it. It hasn't changed since John the Baptist or the days of Jesus. The word everlasting implies that this is the gospel that Jesus specified. Beloved, if we're still asking ourselves, what is the gospel? I pray that we, we've come to the point where we can now see whatever it is. That first angel of Revelation chapter 14 has something to do with it. And so we need to find ourselves in a position to understand what the first angel of Revelation 14 and verse 6 has to say. What do you say? Do you want to know what the Revelation uh, angel, uh, the first angel of Revelation chapter 14 has to say? Do you want to know what the gospel is? I'm going to give you a cheat code. I'm going to tell you right now because I, I went a little over my time. But here it is. In the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power. It is what? The power of God unto salvation to them that believe, first the Jew and then the Greeks. The gospel is the power of God. The first angel brings you the power of God. That's what it is. But listen. Do you know that if you leave this room thinking that the gospel is something, you still don't know what the gospel is? The gospel is not a thing. It's a person. The gospel is not a what. It is a who. I'm not going to give you the text right now, but if you press me long enough, you may get it this evening. The Bible says that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so if the gospel, my friend, is the power of God, but Christ is the power of God, then what is the gospel? 
It has to be Jesus Christ. Do you know that man as you should? I promise you, beloved, until we do, we have no power to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. The gospel is about a personal relationship. A close, say these words with me, this is it. A close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And not just any Jesus, but this same Jesus. We're going to get into the nature of Christ this, this, uh, during these three weeks. We're going to go through some serious things, beloved, and I pray that we're ready for it. I can see that we're tired. It's a good thing I started off with rest, amen? We're going to pray now, and we're all going to go get some rest. Bow your heads with me. Father and our God who art in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for Christ. Thankful, dear God, that while we think ourselves relentless sinners, you are a relentless pursuer of our souls, seeking to save us, O God. Father, I pray that you will be with my brethren that are here. I pray that your angels will tabernacle with them. Keep them, Lord, as they go home. Grant them rest, O God, that they may be rejuvenated. Lord, I pray that you bring us back tomorrow evening so that we can go even deeper. Lord, we want to understand what is the connection between our spiritual condition and why it has taken so very long for Jesus to return. Bless us, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name.